This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world. Peak too early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Jenner, and I am joined by Mike Jenner, who is somewhere off the coast of Connecticut. Mike, how are you doing? Steve, I got to be completely honest with you. I'm feeling a tad bit self-conscious these days, and it's really it's nobody's fault, like right? It's the nature of the beast that we're dealing with right now. But when I'm heading out for my runs, and you know, I live in a town with you know quite a few older folk, I would say. And I'm running down the streets, and it's like I see people half a mile down the street seeing me coming their way and just crossing the road, right? I just got people zipping across the road like you wouldn't believe. Like they see this young gun. They're probably thinking to themselves, oh, this kid was probably at a bar two days ago just infested with all kinds of diseases, and they're staying the hell away from me. So, I mean, listen, I get it, and they're doing the right thing. Everyone's doing the right thing. It's just my brain's still trying to figure it out. That's all. Hey, it's about time people start getting out of my way when I'm running. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) And as always, not at the house of Stav. He is still quarantined in his parents' basement. We have Trent Fontanella. Trent, how are you doing, bud? Guys, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm kind of getting used to this whole quarantine thing. I mean, I haven't put on anything besides shorts and a t-shirt for for two straight weeks now. My my facial hair is like, I don't even remember the last time I shaved because I sure as hell didn't shave before I went on vacation. My mustache, it's getting all up in my mouth, which is a little annoying, but it's it's looking pretty good if you ask me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I sleep in every day. My mom makes me dinner every night. I mean, quarantine life is, is pretty good. So, I mean, I work from home. So everybody in the world's getting a little bit of a taste of what I deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, it's definitely hard to get used to at first. But once you kind of get over the hump, it's great. It's, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. But I've also accepted the fact that I don't need to interact with humans outside of my house on a day-to-day basis. You know, so I, I kind of let some things go. And the other day, my wife was just like, hey, so you uh, you done with the shaving thing or what? <laughs> and you were like, hurt. yeah. <laughs> yep, no, I'm the, I'm the same way. I, I have, like, no, like, social responsibility to anybody. I went outside the other day. Uh, was just like walking the dog and I saw somebody kind of like Mike said, you know, they're on the opposite side of the road, but it was kind of weird. You know, I interacted with somebody that wasn't living in my house and it was just this, this wild feeling. I, I just, you know, got a little scared. I wanted to retreat back into my little, my little cave here in my, in my room and look at my old 2003 Patriots posters. Are I'll you in your, I, uh, go ahead, Mike. I, I'm uh, I'm finding a, a, a different version of myself these days. I'm kind of turning into to Mr. Mom over here. I'm cleaning up the house nonstop, just cleaning up after myself like you wouldn't believe. Yesterday, I baked banana bread, chocolate chip, what? banana bread. <laughs> I've been doing crosswords. I did a, um, a puzzle for the first time in forever. I think I'm a puzzle guy now. So I just feel like, you know, I, um, I found a new version of myself that's not so bad. Mike, this is that's uh that's classic week one quarantine. Let's see what happens in <laughs> yeah, week two. You're gonna be know, in sweatpants. The house is just gonna be a mess. You're gonna be like, <laughs> you know, ordering takeout. I mean, it's just it's it, it that goes downhill really quick. Yeah, that's probably that's. Probably it's good. funny because I might have had the reverse right. Week one for me was my my like online blackjack all the time, just like. <laughs> 
being a total degenerate. Um, and I told my girlfriends, like, listen, as soon as I lose all my money, then I won't be playing blackjack anymore. And what happened? I lost all my money. So now I'm done with that. I'm reading books again, which is crazy. I'm taking like an online class. It's everything is kind of coming together now. I mean, I, I, I will admit I have like, you know, told myself if if I'm, you know, can't go outside of my house, I can't interact with other people. I'm making rules for myself. Like I I'm going to take this quarantine time to get back into shape and get like fit. Like I'm, I'm running every day. I'm doing my stretches in the morning. I'm eating relatively, relatively healthy. The only bad part is it's like, you know, when the day is over, there's nothing to do, but just crack a beer and sit and watch movies and, and drink beer. So that kind of gets away from me a little bit, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think right now I'm kind of in the, I'm kind of in the same frame of mind with, with Mike where it's like, this is kind of nice, but I'm sure it will spiral out of control eventually. Steve, I'm totally in on like the let's take this time to to get fit. But I'll tell you what I what I'm not gonna do is I'm not gonna get roped into this Instagram push up nonsense. Okay. People are sending me stuff left and right, do this, do that. It's like I'm gonna do push ups on on my own accord here. I'm not gonna be told to do ten push ups and set up my camera on my couch or something. It's just not gonna happen. So so I'll, I live I'll, under a rock. Is that happening? People yeah, are yeah. people are telling you to do push ups. Yeah, Trent. Trent is yeah. You you live under a rock. You don't you you don't pay attention to any social media. It's not like we have like a a podcast that's you know fueled by you know putting stuff out on social media or anything. But I'll admit, I'll admit, I fell victim to the the push up challenge and I did it. You know the whole C ten, you know give ten push up type deal. And then, you know, so I did my push ups. The next day, I got two notifications for C ten give ten miles, and I responded to both of those people. Not a chance in hell. <laughs> Steve, I, I I will say you were in kind of early on the the push up so I feel yeah. like you you were you know kind of the hipster. You were in before it became cool. I'm a C10 give 10 hipster. See, I like that. I've That's been I've been strong. Cool. I haven't done these push ups. Uh, I mean I haven't. I didn't know this existed, but I haven't. But I have. I have gone for a run, boys. I haven't gone for a run since like early January. I uh, I stopped milking my shoulder injury. I went out there, did a 20 minute slow jog the other day. I swear to God, I I am sore. I am legit sore. And I ran yesterday. Like my quads are are screaming at me. What are you doing, man? It's a it's amazing how out of shape I am. This is probably the most out of shape I've been in since since I don't know before. No, I used to run around in grade school. Yeah, this is, might be the most out of shape I've ever been. Trent, I, it's one of those things I um I feel like that first run back can can go one of two ways. It can either be like, oh my god, I'm out of shape and this is terrible, or you can get that kind of like like false hope where it's like, I feel amazing. This is gonna be great. In reality, you're probably going like nine minute pace, but at least mentally you're like, running is so easy. I just took six months off and I'm and I'm back, baby. Yeah, I didn't have that. I had the opposite <laughs> of that man. It was rough. Oh man. Well, quarantine life, it's going to get to us. We got to, you know, we got to embrace it somehow, but I'm glad that everybody listening is, uh, you know, taking their, their quarantine time to catch up on their podcast. Listen to a little peek too early. We're here with you. We're going to get you through this. So on that, Mike, why don't we kick off the running news? All right, Steve, we don't have a lot of news, but I would say we have some some pretty big news here. So the I'm going to read a quick statement. Yeah, some pretty big news. All right. In the present circumstances, and based on the information provided by the World Health Organization today, the IOC president and the prime minister of Japan have concluded that the games 
of the Olympiad in Tokyo must be rescheduled to a date beyond 2020, but not later than summer 2021, to safeguard the health of the athletes, everybody involved in the Olympic Games, and the international community. Boys, if I had told you this like two or three weeks ago, that the Olympic Games are postponed until 2021, what would you say? I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have believed you, but I mean, this is this is our this is the the our our worst nightmare. This is like worst case scenario. Like we even as soon as like a week and a half ago, we were joking about this and saying it's not going to happen. Like you know, all NBA is canceled, March Madness is canceled, and NHL is canceled. All these sporting events are getting canceled, but we we're like, the Summer Olympics are happening. Like that is going to happen. That's enough time. We were very confident in it, and Sure enough, that too gets postponed. I mean, it's wild, wild. Time. And I think, I think we've maybe, uh, you know, we're holding on hope as long as we could. But we knew this was going to happen before today, right? It wasn't like this stop, uh, this story dropped, and it was a surprise to us. Um, but still, seeing it, seeing it official, right? Seeing the actual headlines out and people finally covering the story, because for a while it was kind of like, all right, when when is the announcement coming? They're holding off on it. Um, but but when you actually see it and you think about like all all the effects of this, it it hurts, man. It just sucks. I mean, this whole but coronavirus did, thing is real. Did we, Trent? Like, I mean, I, I did. I man. was still, I was still holding out hope that the Olympics. I mean, it was far enough away that there was still a real chance that we were going to have it. Honestly, I, I was, I was definitely questioning how we were going to do the trials, but I was confident the Olympics were going to happen. When they canceled the indoor championships, I thought we had a. You know, I was a little nervous they were going to cancel the Olympics after that because it was just growing and growing. About? I said it on podcast. We thought, we thought we were going to have March Madness when they canceled the indoor championship. I know, but we weren't over in Japan. I, I don't know. This has been – I think it's been on the radar longer, and I think it was bound to happen for, you know, a couple weeks now. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe they could have found a way to figure it all out. But, I mean, you, you think about it now, and it was a no-brainer that nobody can train for it. They can't do the, the qualifying, you know – championships for it just wasn't going to work right and, and kind of to trent's point it's like how crazy is it that when the olympics got postponed it wasn't even like like world shattering news like the you know what i mean like it, it didn't create like all these headlines on espn it wasn't that big of a deal because it was the the last thing to fall at this point we'd become so accustomed to sports getting canceled and like mind-blowing sports getting canceled that it was like, yeah, it's it's another thing. And like in our world, it's completely different because this is the biggest thing in the world for us, and only comes around every four years. But like to the general public, it was like, yeah, I mean the NBA, the MLB, like everything is canceled. It's just added to the list of things that are now gone from our life right now. So I, you know, obviously we're we're very disappointed that. The Olympics is canceled. It's 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 changing a lot of plans for for this podcast and kind of what we were envisioning envisioning for the summer. But I think we're gonna have a lot of interesting consequences from this, you know, good and bad. You know, I'm looking ahead to you know 2021 and the Olympic trials and things like uh, events like the 10K and 5K. 10K especially are gonna be packed because you're gonna have every single marathoner. That was training all year mm-hmm. to try and make the mar- the Olympic team in the marathon. Their focus, as of 
yesterday is now switched to making the Olympic team in the 10K, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, the beauty of our our big championship getting canceled, right, is it's, it's not actually canceled, it's postponed. We're going to lose out on a full year of March Madness. We're going to lose out. I mean, I, I can't imagine the NBA season and NHL season finishes up. The Olympics is going to be weird, right? And there's going to be weird consequences they're going to talk about. But at least we still get it. It's kind of... Now we get like another another winter of buildup, another spring of getting excited about it. So we almost we're almost winning in a way, guys. This is true, boys. I I, I hate to to be the Debbie Downer here, but do you know in 2021 where the outdoor world championships are being held? Mm, no. Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. The United States of America. I mean, boys, the peak too early crew would have been Damn. Eugene for the world Shit. championships, and now they I just, just I don't know what that. you do. Oh. I, I don't know what you do with the with the world champ. I mean, it's canceled, right? It, it's just being replaced by the Olympics. So, you know, there's silver linings everywhere. But I read was reading something on that, on that today, and it's like, well, that stinks, right? I mean, that stinks. You're I'm another so level than me right now. <laughs> I did not, because like we had talked, we had talked that that was gonna be. We were planning a year and a half in advance, and we were gonna be there. I am, I am furious right now. I am furious. I guess I mean, maybe we'll just start budgeting and and you know getting our butts to Tokyo now. Well, yeah, we got on the year to save true. money. This is true. <laughs> if we buy, can we get a discount on flights right now? Can we buy that? Oh part? my god, flights would be so know. cheap. What we need <laughs> is people to start buying some more shirts. Even if you've already bought a shirt, <laughs> buy some more, buddies, because we we need a we need some funds to buy these tickets. Send us to Tokyo. Now, I also have another question. Does this mean that Russia gets to compete? Oh, is there a ban up? <laughs> I mean, what's what's the what's the ruling on their ban? Was it for the was it for 2020 or is it was it for the this round of Olympics? I don't know. There's got to be some fine print there, right? I mean, is it possible that Russia is like, oh, you're gonna ban this for a year? Your world yeah. take coronavirus. <laughs> How about that? So, so funny you bring this up, right? The other day I watched Icarus. Have you guys seen Icarus? Mm-hmm. It's a documentary Wild. about the Russian doping. It's it is insane. I mean, it would based on what you see, everybody should go out watch it on Netflix. It's a it's an amazing documentary about just the years and years of doping that's been going on in Russian for all sports, not just track and field, everything. But based on what you watch in that movie, it would not surprise me if they unleashed you know this virus. So like, oh, where would people believe that it would start from? Yeah, some some rural or some place in China, they just planted the COVID nineteen there. Would not surprise me. We figured it out. We, uh, Russia. Everybody's talking about it was it came from people eating bats or whatever. It was Russia. It was Putin. Classic Russia. Hey, can, can I before we get off of the topic of the Olympics, just address one thing here. So I just want to say I appreciate our sport so much in times like these because our sport and the athletes of our sport really always rally together and say the right things and do the right things and it's awesome right this movement you know all over social media where the athletes are coming out and just being like listen this is the right thing we should be postponing this olympics and you know we need to be focusing on health and stuff like it it is 100 percent unanimous for all these american athletes saying the right things and I do love that about our sport. I, I truly, genuinely do. But can I just get one person to come out and be like, yeah, yeah, I agree with everything everybody's saying, 
but can we just address the fact that this freaking stinks? Like, I've been training my butt off for months over here, and then all of a sudden I got to wait. Like, I, I I know that, it you know, we're in fragile times, and people are, you know, want to say the right things, and we want to be focusing and have our priorities straight here. But there's people who feel that way, right? There's people out there right now who are like, man, this freaking stinks right now. So, Mike, I, I was thinking about that, and it would – it would this would be the worst if you had a legitimate shot at a medal, right? So yes. if I'm if I'm if I'm an athlete and I think I have a really good shot to make the Olympic team, but I don't know if I can compete for a medal, I'm pumped about this because this gives yep. me another year to refocus to shape my life around winning a medal. But if you were primed and ready to be on the podium this summer, it really stinks. So the first person that popped into my head, Donovan Brazier. Right there, he cannot mm. be stopped right now. I mean, he, True. if I mean, I don't know insane. how you can't consider him the favorite for Olympic gold. If I were him, I would be furious right now. I would be so pissed. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do about it, but he, he has to be beating himself up a little bit right now, right? Yeah, and, and that's a good point, right? Like, I don't know where you target your emotion and like your, you know, anger because it's nobody's fault, right? And it's again, like we've said, the right decision. But, I mean, it's okay to be upset about this. It's okay. Like, I mean, this is their livelihood and their career and what they spend every second of their life preparing for every four years. Like, it is okay to be upset about this. So, and the other thing, the other thing is if you're, I mean, assuming, and I think everything's leaning towards that, the the marathon qualifiers will be the the qualifiers, will be our Olympians in, in 2021. If you if you're on that podium at the at the marathon trials and you're going to the Olympics, it's got to feel real good to be a marathoner and be like, I have a year and a quarter ahead of me to get ready. And I don't have to turn this around and immediately start preparing for an Olympics this summer. I can I can I can take a rest. I can I can do a full year's worth of training for this. I mean, that's that's got to be a really good feeling. Yeah, I mean the the people that are still were were trying to qualify, your braziers and everyone else that had to run track trials. I mean, I think one of the reasons maybe you didn't see the the outpouring of disappointment was, I'm sure their training is all like screwed up right now, right? I mean, all the lead up races that they were gonna do this this indoor season uh, not happening. You know, some of the early outdoor events were probably already canceled. I don't know, whatever gyms they go to work at out at it were probably closed and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of athletes recognize they aren't gonna be able to put on their peak performance. And maybe that's why we didn't see as much. But the marathon is right. They already locked it up. They don't have to interact with anybody. They just go for long runs by themselves anyway. I mean, that one um, that one would be disappointing if that you thought this was your only chance. But to your point, Steve, if you're if you're somebody like Galen Rupp or whatever, I mean, you have now a year and a half to, like, come up with the ultimate training plan and put yourself in metal contention. Yeah. So, Steve, before we move on from running news here, does anybody have any last Olympic thoughts before I move on? I'm bummed no. the trials are canceled. Yeah, I mean, me too. Sucks. Trials, trials like all the other meets. I feel like the, we're gonna like you kind of mentioned how the world's gonna be all screwed up next year, canceled. We're gonna get the Olympics. We're gonna miss like I mean, we're gonna miss all the the college stuff. We're gonna miss the trials. There's so many other meets that we're not gonna get that. I think I'm just coming to that realization right now, and that really sucks. I mean, we 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 were we just we talk about it all the time that you know we're this podcast is a year old, and we we're never 
we're, we're very surprised at how much stuff there is to cover and how much stuff there is to talk about throughout the calendar year. And just like that, out of nowhere, we got nothing. And Steve, so that brings me to my next point. Perfectly, perfect transition. It's like you almost knew where I was going with this. So the running news segment, it's a newer segment for us. It might be dead for a little bit. <laughs> so this right now, okay, we are a very anti-doping and drug podcast right we've made it clear like it is the worst thing for our sport but right now i mean if some big news broke over the next month or so it gave us something to talk about it really wouldn't be the worst thing in the world okay so in a world where we need some running news all of a sudden i'm kind of thinking like you know maybe maybe i need something dirty right now (laughs) yellow ryan dirty so if you're sitting on something if you're some type of you know journalist or whatever you're sitting on the story please drop it right now we need yeah, you to drop give me it. something give me something to talk about here That's can we talk about shoes about. what's the shoe stuff going on oh god no yeah, i mean this whole covid19 thing has really put people arguing about millimeters in the midsole you know conversation or rest real quick yeah i'm nike, so happy about it nike is pissed about this because all the other no nike is pumped you are they? Me? Yeah, because people are done talking and bitching and moaning about the shoes, stack height in the shoes. I guess my point was going to be by the time we start running again, everybody's going to have caught up to the technology. Everybody will have the same shoes released, so they're going to lose their advantage. That's a good point. Good point. All right, Steve, that's all I got for running news. On that, let's kick off our interview with Brooks Beast, Ali Austin. Maybe just hit the wall, she never had it all. One Prozac a day, husband's a CPA, her dreams went out the door, when she turned 24, only been with one All right, one so we are here, with three-time national champion, she's fresh off a win in the 3K at the Milrose Games, Allie Ostrander, welcome to Peak Too Early. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you. So, this is a big episode for us, um, not because there's anything big going on in the running world, but... A lot of stuff got canceled, and word just came out that the Olympics this summer is going to be postponed. So where's your mindset on that? Uh, it's it's hard to really talk about right now, um, just because obviously I realize that it's the right call for the health of the world and getting over this pandemic, but it's just really hard to handle as an athlete. Uh, with a goal that you've been chasing after for so long and structuring all your training and racing around to just get pulled out from under you like that, uh, it's pretty heartbreaking. But I do realize that there are going to be positives coming out of this, and I'm thankful to have another year to prepare and extra time to base train. And, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm glad that the IOC had the foresight to realize that the games weren't going to be able to be contested on a fair playing field or even necessarily a safe playing field if they went on this year as planned. Yeah, so Ali, first of all, I just want to say I appreciate the way you kind of laid that out there, right? Because earlier in the show, I was kind of talking about how, you know, of course, everybody's in support of this decision. It's, It's the right decision and everything. But I loved hearing you say, like, it is heartbreaking, right? From your perspective, it is heartbreaking. So first of all, I appreciate that. Second of all, let's have that be the uh, 
the last time we talk about coronavirus and, and cancellations on this podcast because, you know, in this time, I think we need to distract a little bit. So what I want to divert to right now is last time you and I talked, we were in the bar in Atlanta having a great time, and we were diving into Bachelor Nation a little bit. So I just I just need to know what your take is on how the season finished up. I mean, I am incredibly disappointed. And also, <laughs> how can Pete go from having like 30 beautiful women to zero? I mean, there wasn't a single one. <laughs> like, how? Oh, I was, I was upset that this is the first season of The Bachelor I've ever invested in, and the first one that's ever ended without them <laughs> dating or anything. I was. Ugh, not pleased. And it's, Barb, it's, oh, that woman. <laughs> so it, it's ridiculous that this is like the most popular show in the world, and they can just completely get away with nothing happening. Like it just, the show ended with nothing happening. I know, I know. So Chris and Nelson and I, we live together, and our smoke alarm goes off incessantly. Like, if you even turn on a burner on the stove, the smoke alarm just starts going off. And it's super obnoxious because it doesn't only, like, beep a ton, but it also yells, fire, fire, fire. Like, there is no fire. But anyways, we decided we needed to name the smoke alarm because we, like, yell at it so often. So we named it Barb in honor of (laughs) So so for us non you know, bachelor watchers, um, myself in that group. So there was, there was no, there was no match at the end. Isn't, isn't it all like stage anyways? Couldn't they just like chose somebody to, to pretend like he liked the guy, she liked the guy and they could have made it is, am I, am I wrong? Yeah. See, that's the thing is I, I never know what's real and what's fake on the bachelor, but so they ended up getting engaged, but then they broke it off before the finale. Cause I guess there was like a couple month gap in there. I don't really, I don't know. They could have just, they could have been better. They could have done better. Do they have, do they have Bachelor revisited, you know, three years down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line? Are any of these couples still together? I think like there's an 11% success rate, something like that. (laughs) I know there's, that's like the national average. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, they're doing about as well as the general population. All right, Allie. I'm gonna bring this. I'm gonna bring this interview back on track, and I want to talk a little bit about the Milrose game because you had probably the highlight of the indoor season. I mean, indoor national championship was unfortunately canceled, but we got to have the Milrose games. You went into the 3K with a uh, a packed field, and uh, you you outkicked the the entire field to kind of win that. What was it like winning at the Milrose games? Uh, it was pretty incredible. I was super excited um just because like wins didn't come very often in college and even less often in the pro world I mean I know I've only been a pro for like eight months or something but um you know those are moments that you really have to cherish and appreciate and I definitely felt that way when I crossed the line first in Milrose I mean I hadn't expected to win and it was a big PR um so it was a it was a pretty emotional in a good way win for me i mean i gotta imagine you're lining up against some of those some of those women and you know you come away with the win uh, against a a tough field it's got to feel pretty validating that 
I, I, you know, made the commitment to, to become a pro. I'm committing my life to this and I can, I can succeed at this level. Yeah, it definitely was. And I mean, coming out of college a year early and leaving some eligibility on the table, uh, I felt like it was somewhat justifying to get that win and have a big PR. It just showed that this was a good step to make and is putting me in a good position. And you're, you're of course, a, a stellar steeplechaser, and then you showed, you know, you don't need the steeples on the track. What do you feel more comfortable with? Is there a different mindset when you hop on the track and there's steeples there or there's not steeples there? Uh, I think that it's definitely a little bit different tactically when you have steeples in the race, just because it provides an advantage to leading, which doesn't really ever happen in another track race. Uh, and so the way I ran the race at Milrose was starting in the back and slowly working my way up. Whereas in the steeplechase, I don't usually feel as comfortable doing that just because then you're stuck hurtling in a pack and it kind of throws off your form. Do you have a plan going forward for like, you know, looking at what is now the 2021 Olympics is, is steeple kind of where you're going to focus your efforts? Um, I mean, I didn't even quite have a concrete plan for this year. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, yeah, I can't tell you. That's, one, I mean, uh, that's, that's fair. <laughs> one event that I hope is on your calendar. This was maybe my favorite part um, that I, the theory, little information I found out researching. So you are a, a winner, a multi-time participant in the Mount Marathon race in Seward, Alaska. And I, I uh, was up there a few years back, and I, I heard about it, and I just, like, wanted to run it to see if I could do it, and, and I ran up and down, and it was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done. So can you just – I think our listeners are going to love it. Can you introduce the Mount Marathon race to our listeners, tell them what it's all about? Uh, yeah, so Mount Marathon is kind of like the Super Bowl of Alaskan mountain running. Uh, it is about a 5K race, but – it takes the female winners around 50 minutes and the male winners around 43 minutes. So it's a pretty slow 5K, but it starts out in downtown Seward and goes about a kilometer to the base of the mountain. And then you just go straight up and straight down with, I think the, ver the like angle that it's at, the grade is like 41%. Um, so very steep. And then the down is pretty technical with a mix of shale and creek bed, cliffs, that sort of thing. Um, and then you run the last K back to downtown. Uh, it's, it is really hard, but it's also a super rewarding race and it's got an incredible atmosphere because Seward is a town of like 6,000 people. And on race day, there's like 30,000 people there. So it's packed. Uh, the streets are lined with fans, um, and it's just got a ton of history. Yeah, the the straight up, straight down is no exaggeration. I remember like, you know, thinking I was, I'm all that, right? So I can like <laughs> go right up it, and all of a sudden I'm hands and knee in it. I mean, the biggest thing I learned was you need gloves to do it because it's all like rocky and crap when you're going down, and you're like, like the going down is how do you? I'm like skiing down rocks in just my shoes. I totally ruined a pair of running shoes. It was like the most ridiculous 5K I've ever. I mean, one of the most ridiculous runs I've ever done. Yeah, for sure. I always use trail shoes and gloves when I do the race. Um, 
But it's pretty fun if you do it like early season. There'll be a huge snow slide at the top, so you can go down, and just kind of sled down on your butt. Um, <laughs> pretty quick. It's it's so Alaska and it makes you such a badass for like just being you know if you can win that you can go out and run you know three k on a track. Yeah, it it's definitely one of the harder races I've ever done. Every state, that's awesome. Every state should have a race specific to that state that kind of you know speaks to their geography, their climate, or whatever that is considered the Super Bowl of that state. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, I I really like it. All right, I'm back in now. I'm tapping back in to take this interview back off the rails here. So <laughs> your <laughs> your your birthday is on Christmas Eve, is that correct? Uh, yes. Oh, Does that suck so... or is that good? <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say that it's ideal. I don't want to complain because I'm glad that I was born, no matter what day it was. <laughs> what a take! I'm glad I was born. Great take. But you know. Uh, my family actually celebrates Christmas on the 24th, uh, so it's a, just a jam-packed day because we've got Christmas with the grandparents in the morning and then Christmas with the family at night. And so usually I have about a two- to three-hour window in the middle of the day where we can celebrate my birthday. So generally I just go run. Oh, my goodness. So you definitely lose out on presents. I mean, there's no question about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like... Everyone is indebted to me that has ever given <laughs> a fine birthday Christmas present. Like I'm gonna, 14 I'm year old Trent would have a list of all like the times I got chipped out of it, comparing to my siblings and everything, because that's some BS. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, when I was younger, my parents did a really good job though. I would always have a birthday party on like December 12th, so it would create a little bit of separation. Um, so. I, I have to give them that. They really helped me out. Great parenting. So I, I've asked this to all the all the Brooks Beasts because I think you have such a unique team and we've kind of we've built friendships throughout the throughout the Beasts and we, we love Brooks and we love the Beasts. What what is your take on running for the Beasts? You said you ran you, you left college a little bit early to kind of go pro and, and join up with Brooks. Um, what has been your experience like so far? Uh, I mean, it's been really positive. I've enjoyed the team uh, and the coaching and the setup that we have here at Brooks. I mean, Danny has his master's in biomechanics, um, and so he's approaching training from a really scientific standpoint, which appeals to me uh, for sure. I really like to know the reasoning behind everything we're doing, and he's always willing to talk to you about that and walk you through all the details and exactly what he's thinking um and i mean sometimes more than you even want to know if you get him started he may never stop but uh <laughs> good and um the team culture is really awesome i feel like we have a lot of fun you know both in and out of practice and it's also a pretty small team so i've been able to get close to people a lot quicker than i was with a college team where there were like 50 or 60 people on it um yeah and then besides that brooks is just a company i'm super proud to represent uh they have a ton of kind of sponsorship uh programs where they help out track teams and coaches in need and um they also just have really good morals which with all the stuff that's been coming out this year um makes me pretty happy 
Yeah. You've been a you've been a pro for about eight months now, as you said. Um, what's been the biggest challenge for you that maybe you weren't expecting when you left the college circuit? Um, I think for me, it's not having everything in one place. In college, I really took that for granted, where the track the training room, the coaches' offices, and your house are within, like, one mile. Uh, and just, like, as a pro living in Seattle, that's not the case, you know? We're having to drive somewhere to train and then drive somewhere to cross-train and then drive somewhere to get treatment from our athletic trainer and then, you know, drive to Brooks for a meeting or something like that. Like, usually we, we wouldn't have to do all of that in one day, but I just – lose a lot more time in transportation than I did in college. It's a benefit of the quarantine. We all don't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, as far as struggles go, I realize that's a very small struggle. I'm not complaining about (laughs) what, what advice would you have for runners that are coming out of college They're they're going to be graduating and they're going to be turning pro having done it over the past year. What advice would you have for them? Um, I would say, Just try to do your research, Um, and it's the same with going into college, but it's it's really easy to be told what you want to hear, but if you are going to be choosing something that has a major impact on your life, I think it's really important that you get all your information from multiple sources, so you're not just being told, you know, whatever one person wants you to hear. You have to try to hear it out from multiple people. Um, And then another thing for me is that it's really important um, that I go somewhere that I feel like I matter. Like on Brooks, I feel like I get a lot of individualized attention, not just from Danny, but also from the, like the marketing team at Brooks and like even the CEO, like every time I've given one of my friends or family members a tour of the Brooks building, he has randomly been there and like engaged me in a conversation. Like I just don't feel like you get that at a lot of places. And to me, it's really valuable. So Allie, you, you have proven over the years to be, you know, close as close to an expert and, you know, professional at a lot of different things. You know, you're a three time national champion in, in college and the steeplechase and, you know, you're the runner up cross country uh, national champion and, you know, you know, you know, embarking on your professional career. But according to your uh, Instagram profile, it seems like one of your biggest specialties is is laying on the floor. I was hoping that you could expand a little <laughs> bit on so what the hell that means. Um, so <laughs> just, at the end of a long day, you know, sometimes you don't make it to the bed or the couch. You just make it to the floor and stay there for 10, 20 minutes, an hour or two. Um, you can, my sister and I love to do this sometimes. Like when we were growing up, our living room was carpeted and like a tough day. We just go lay on the floor, um, <laughs> you know, take a load off, set yourself down and, and just stay there. Um, <laughs> I've actually used that uh, as the name for most of my playlists on Spotify. So I have the lay on the floor mix and the comatose on the floor mix. <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look into both of those right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that. 
Well, Allie, thank you so much for coming on. We, we you know, this is, we've been trying to get you on for a while. And we finally got you. I, I, um, I think this was a, this is great having all, having, having you on and, and, you know, getting to talk to the listeners. Um, but we end every single interview with a quick game. So Mike, why don't you kick off down the home stretch? That's right. Down the home stretch. We're going to rapid fire questions on a specific topic at you. Your topic tonight is your hometown, your the state you grew up, Alaska. I think we got a lot of questions to cover here for Alaska. So Trent's mm-hmm. gonna start us off. The timer is gonna start with Trent's question. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Um, Allie, what age did you first wrestle a grizzly bear? <laughs> uh, actually, I think it was three. It's kind of a rite of passage before you go to preschool. Mm, figured. Nice. Do you personally know any king crab fishermen? Um. I know crab fishermen. Can't say I really know if they are kings or princes or whatever. (laughs) All right. What is the biggest difference between Alaska and Seattle? Uh, The amount of people all around. I mean, Alaska has just got so much open space. Mm. Yeah, about that open space. So... All children from the lower 48 kind of refuse to believe Alaska is as big as it is on the map. Like, Texas is definitely bigger. Can you confirm or deny that? Uh, I can confirm that Alaska is twice the size of Texas when the tides are in and three times the size of Texas when the tides are out. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, What's the coldest weather you've ever run in? Um, Negative... 10 or so probably i've skied in like negative 20 oh even worse so going off steve's question there i read on the all reliable website wikipedia.com that it can get up to temperatures of 90 degrees in some parts of alaska that's just not true right no it is i remember this one summer day really hot and no, and my sister and I were so excited because it was like incredibly hot that day. So we took this like thermometer and we carried it around all over with us to see where the hottest spot was. And then the <laughs> hottest got to like 98 degrees. So that was in direct sunlight, but still very hot. I don't know if I believe that. I think your uh, your thermometer was broken, but. I don't know. Um... Back at the time. Another thing that's going on on the internet is that there used to be a, a land bridge from Alaska to Russian. And I think that's a bunch of BS, because if there was, everyone would be speaking Russian. So um, was there actually a land bridge from Russia to Alaska? I mean, I actually did hear that, that there like there was an ice bridge that connected the two at one point. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. Honestly, I should, probably should know, but <laughs> I can't say with certainty. We can assume it's not true. Okay. Mike, hit it with the last question. All right, so the state's motto is North to the Future. I don't I don't get it. What does that mean? <laughs> I guess it's saying that Alaska is, is the future. Uh, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, though, it's going to be like the last place in the U.S. that's like fully settled, probably. Like, well, that's we start- definitely true. Everyone's going to have to go north to Alaska, so it could be a real lifesaver. You're, you're making some valid points right now. Allie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a ton of fun. We're, uh, we're wishing you the best of luck 
you know this summer and heading into the Olympics next year. Yeah, thank you guys. I'm glad I was finally able to come on. And that interview with Ali Ostrander was brought to you by 27 Video. Whether you're married to the game of running or getting married to another runner, let 27 Video take care of all your video needs. We can show in 4K the beads of sweat on your calves in a road race or your gorgeous wedding on a lake. Choose 27 Video. We love weddings and we love running too. Guys, we've said it before. 27 Video is the best video production in the game. I can speak personally. I had them at my wedding. They were awesome. I had them at my all my road races. They were with us in Atlanta. Those videos kick ass. So if you need if you have any video needs, call choose 27 video. I mean, see if you don't believe us, go to www.peaktooearly.com, check out the videos tab and there's some dope 27 videos right there. You know, our Olympic trials, we got the Wild Rover Series races on there. I mean, we got everything. So that's where you got to find it. That's where you got to check it out. So, guys, while everything is shut down and sports are canceled for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future, what Peak Too Early is going to do is we're going to pull up some classic races. You know, whether it be track races, marathon, cross-country meets, we're going to go back in the archives and the history of this sport. We're going to pull up these races, we're going to watch them, and we're going to talk about them. So today we're going to kick off this classic race segment with the Duel in the Sun, the 1982 Boston Marathon. This was a showdown between Dick Beardsley and Alberto Salazar. Huh? Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? You know, goes down in history as one of the greatest marathons of all time, one of the greatest Boston marathons of all time. And we're getting to that season where we have a little bit of the itch for the Boston Marathon, and we're not going to be able to watch it. So we figured we'd start with this. So we just watched it. I got a lot of thoughts on this, guys. But let me just kind of set the stage, and we can kind of get into our thoughts into watching it. If anybody listening wants to watch it, there's a great 10-minute YouTube video. So just go on YouTube and, and type in, you know, 1982 Boston Marathon Duel in the Sun will come right up. It's 10 minutes. They got a nice little U2 montage. It's great. In so fact, it's, in fact, if if you're listening to this right now, just press should. pause, go watch it, and then come back come to back. listen to us. Come back. Okay, press pause. Okay, welcome back. Hey, welcome well, welcome back. back. So to kind of set the stage for this, um, so this this was a it was a warm day in Boston, so it started off around you know, 70 degrees and climbed up in the high 70s. So at the time, it was classic Boston, right, where you had this warm day out of nowhere. The week prior in Boston, there was a blizzard. So just classic Boston volatile spring weather. And you had a showdown between, like I said, you know, the infamous Alberto Salazar and a relatively unknown marathoner in Dick Beardsley. He had won the London Marathon in 1981, but other than that, he didn't really do a whole lot. Um, Alberto Salazar, guys, before we get into this, I just want to read off the 1982 year for Alberto Salazar, maybe the greatest year a runner has ever seen. So he obviously, so I I don't want to spoil it, but he does really well in the Boston Marathon in 1982. A week prior to the Boston Marathon, he made a world record attempt in the 10K. He ran 27.30. Later on that year, he ran 27.25 in the 10K. American record. He ran 13:11 in the 5K. 
American record. He ran another 10K under 27.30 later on that year, and he won the New York City Marathon in 209. And he came in to the Boston Marathon with the world record in the marathon at 208. Just an unbelievable year. Yeah, uh, for for young folks like us. Who, 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 who was that that was doing all that? Alberto Salazar. <laughs> uh, put an asterisk next to all that. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. I'm not counting it. I mean, Guy's a cheetah. <laughs> for for young folk like us though, it's so easy to forget a Salazar, the runner, because you just you just know him from his coaching, his personality, his cheating, um, or his his alleged cheating. But totally forget. I mean, I knew he was an elite runner. I knew he had won Boston. I did not realize he was you know the absolute superstar that he was. It was it was fun to go back and and relive some younger Salazar. I mean, I even brought it up in an earlier podcast, and Mike was like, what What are you talking about, Steve? And I was like, yeah, Salazar was a badass runner back in his day. He's not just a coach. Um, but, hey, the the movie – so we're the video, we're going to jump into the video in a second. But right before, right as the video is starting, these two, these two runners dropped a legendary uh, runner and former Boston champion, Bill Rogers, right as the video is starting, and it kind of kicks off there. Um, so what did you guys think of this? I mean, any race that has a title duel in the sun, I mean, come on, that's that's some that's some legit start. shit right there. That that's something that you only see in other sports, it seems like. But to have an actual name like that, um, I was I was watching it right before I got on because I you know delayed watching it until we were about to start, and I made us you know not record the podcast, so I'd watch it. Classic but trend. it got me so fired up. If you if you and part of it's the music that the video that we watched the highlight put on and just the pump up music, but just just watching Boston, uh, the Boston Marathon, and, and seeing these guys come down. It's, you know, it was, what, almost 40 years ago now? But it's the same course. It's the same energy, just people going nuts, people lining it up. And there's so many, like, fun things about it in the early 80s that I'm sure we're going to get to that you wouldn't see today. But it, you can't you can't watch that video without your heartbeat just pumping. It is it's amazing. So, Trent, to, to your point there, and I have so many notes, but, like, my very first observation is, like, I've always known Boston is a wild marathon and like crazy things happen. But in 1982, the Boston Marathon was the craziest thing I have ever seen. You got dudes just like hopping onto the course. And these are the number one and number two runners in the race. And you have some random dude in like a polo and jeans just like sprinting next to them for like a hundred meters. I'm like, is anybody going to freaking stop this guy? You have <laughs> bicycles on the other side of the crowd, just, you know, like a Peloton of bicyclists, just 50 of them just following the runners the entire time. And then you come down to the home stretch and we can get more into this later, but like it's a back and forth. It's anybody's race to go with like 200 meters. In the motorcycles, the guys on the co- uh, the cops on the motorcycles are just uh, I mean, in everybody's way. I mean, we got we got so much to get to before we get to that. But, but that is. But my that point is, is my, my point is, Steve is just like the scene on the Boston Marathon course that day, and I'm sure all the time during like the 70s and the 80s was just outrageous. People were out of their minds doing all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, that that was 100% my first takeaway was like. You know, you, you you would think that sports kind of grow and, you know, it's it's probably 
the people are having a party, having a good time out there. We ran it last year. And you think that maybe back in the 80s it wasn't as big and wasn't as celebrated as it is today? No, it might be more. Like, the crowd was absolutely wild. My favorite part of it, like you said, was just the random people on bikes following the the lead (laughs) pack. Just crazy. It's just like, imagine somebody trying to pull that today. They would get gunned down. I'm not even kidding. Like, they would get tackled by 10 cops if they tried to pull a bike out on the course behind the leaders. Um, But, yeah. Definitely, definitely my first takeaway. Crowd was unbelievable. It just was so, so Boston, like just so wild. Like, yeah, I'll get out on this fucking course right here. Hold on with these guys. Like, let's do it. I'm going to be famous. Like, hey, Ma, look, I'm on TV. It was amazing. So that brings me to my next point, Trent. So before we like start breaking down the race, what happened, I want to break down the TV coverage. I love the TV coverage. (laughs) My first thought is TV and sports in the 80s stinks i mean holy crap i was getting a headache trying to watch that we are so fortunate in 2020 to be able to watch sports <laughs> that is like the camera shaking but but what we are lacking is the commentary i mean the commentary in this race you had some true blue just bostonian i think he was one of the guy's coaches i don't even know who he was but I mean, he's got like this thick Boston accent. He's like, listen, buddy, we, me and Dick were on the course in a blizzard last week. He was going up and down that hill seven times. And I'll tell you what, he was looking good. I was ready for him to just be like, listen, if Salazar doesn't drop a kick up hot break hill right now, turn at the donkeys and, and drop this guy, the race is over. I mean, the commentary was unbelievable. And then they're like coming down the finish line. You can't hear what's going on because this crazy bostonian is just like screaming in the background he's just like oh let's go i mean the commentary we need to bring that back that's why they need peak too early commentating marathons because that's what it would be like mike i have in my notebook written down blizzard and salazar yeah exactly it was unbelievable it was it was entertaining but it also was informative it was some good commentary like a lot of times you know i don't hold on chen i need to pause you for a second that was dog barking Oh, hmm. there is dogs. Is I dog, swear. Dog, dog barking in the background. Hmm. <laughs> oh, last shut up, time my, last time my dog barked, you suggested getting rid of my dog. <laughs> it's not oh, my dog. We my can get rid of that dog. There, I'll go throw that dog outside. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, all I was going to say was Here, the, the you coverage was you were late to the podcast because you were chasing that dog around outside trying to get him home. I was. I was trying to help out the fam. I mean, I've been mooching off them for weeks now. I haven't paid for a meal in, in like a month. So it's uh, it's the least I can do is help them find their runaway puppy. All right, go ahead. Go ahead the point it. is, is the, the, the commentary was informative, you know? It wasn't talking about the guy in, you know, in – 3,000th place that's that's running you know backwards with the shoes tied we're actually getting some really interesting insight about the runners like from like you said almost like a coach's point of view people that actually knew you know the ins and outs of it which is what you what you, we've been saying is what you need you need intelligent coverage and they had it and they were into the race they were just like i mean even though there was still 10 miles to go they were saying these two have been together every step of the way they're step for step and they were talking about how great the battle was between them and they embraced it even though you know a marathon takes over a little over two hours they were embracing the battle up front which we've said a bunch of times that the coverage of these marathons needs to embrace the battles up front a little bit more 
Well, and, and it, it can't just be like famous sportscasters talking about what they're seeing. It needs to be people who understand the sport, like breaking down what's going on in front of you. And like, yeah, and the occasional feel-good story, sure, toss it in there. It's a two, three-hour coverage. But like, let's spend most of the coverage breaking down what's going on, like, what we're seeing in front of us and like why this is important and what needs to happen, what has happened. Like you don't get enough of that stuff in the coverage. And that's what makes what we were watching there, even though the camera was shaking and going nuts, it still makes it like so much more compelling because you feel like you understand the sport a little bit more. And, and Mike, there's been, there's been since this has happened for a very long time, this was heralded as like the, the craziest finish in the history of the Boston Marathon, maybe the craziest finish in the history of marathons, period. I mean, but since then, we've had a handful of races at Boston that have been just as, if not more crazy. You know, you have Desi in, 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 in 2012, this past year. I mean, This it's, past year. I mean, Insane. you have these crazy finishes, and you're, you don't have the same feeling about those races that you did about this race because – the coverage wasn't the same. They weren't talking about those battles up front the same way they did in the 80s. I just want to say I didn't hate the shaking camera. It would have sucked if we watched a three-hour, <laughs> two hours of that, but it was, it just like pumped me up so much. It gave you the, you know, this the uh, the goosebumps of watching an old 80s classic sporting event with the shaking camera. Kind of loved it. Yeah. So, and so, so here's a take you're gonna like, Trent. Yeah. Dick Beardsley's hat unbelievable fire <laughs> yeah, let me, fire let me, let me check my uh, notes here uh where, where is it um can't find it but i definitely oh the badass hat <laughs> there it is the badass I mean, hat just by like the, the guy with the badass rib, name like, uh, white hat i mean un- as soon as i saw that i didn't even know who he was at this point i was like i don't know if that's salazar or beardsley but that's the guy I'm rooting for right there. <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to do the nice little hat flip or something coming down. I couldn't believe he kept it on the whole time. All right, so Mike, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but uh, right on Hereford, left on Boylston. So Salazar kind of going into the right turn on Hereford starts to, starts his kick. So for the most of the last 10 miles, he's sitting on Beardsley, Beardsley's heels waiting to make his move. Going into that turn, he makes a little bit of a kick opens up a little bit of a gap left on to Boylston Beardsley comes out of nowhere, starts closing the gap. The motorcycle cops there's probably like seven to 10 motorcycle cops surrounding the two runners as Beardsley's powering back into, into the lead pack, powering back to catch up to Salazar and turning left on to Boylston. One of the motorcycles almost takes him out and blocks him from getting close to Salazar on that turn. I mean, that's, that's another thing that you would never see happen today, and I kind of love it. It's kind of I feel like it's part of the race, part of the course out there. Well, so to your point there, Steve, it's like before you take the left under Boylston, the commentators had already started talking about like how Salazar had won the race, like it was over, mm-hmm. and then Beardsley makes this huge kick and starts like moving in, and nobody expected that really. But kind of like you were saying, it's like. I mean, it's the 80s, and everything I had seen from that video already made me believe that it's like, that was perfectly normal. Why we needed eight cops on motorcycles surrounding the leader when it's a like a head-on-head matchup at this point is baffling to me and makes literally no sense. But it seems like for the times, it was like, oh, yeah, that's perfectly normal. Like, nobody has an issue with the fact that, like, 
the leader is just being engulfed by motorcycles. It's like, give these guys some room. We have a duel going on. And it's it's like, not like it they had normal. the lead car with the camera, you know? We were yeah. watching the shaky <laughs> helicopter footage. From the helicopter. And, but, I mean, it kind of added to, like, the just craziness and excitement of the viewing experience. I mean, if I was Beardsley, I'd be beyond pissed. But from a viewer's perspective – the mayhem aspect of it was kind of like this is awesome. Yeah, and we and were then, we were all rooting for Beardsley, right? When he, when he comes down the corner, like but Salazar, best guy in the world at the time, kind of does a little, you know, kind of a clown move, sits on Beardsley for seven eight miles, you know, just waiting because he knows he has the kick on him. So you see him go, and then when Beardsley responds, it's like it's just the greatest feeling in the world as your fan because you're even in that ten minute clip. All of your, even if you didn't know who Salazar was with his coaching and his doping and stuff, or his, his alleged doping, uh, you're pulling for Beardsy there. So it was a, it was a little heartbreaking when he kind of got blocked I by mean, the bike. I mean the hat truck. That's all. That's all. The I hat. The badass hat. <laughs> so since we're on Beardsley and we're rooting for Beardsley, I I dug up a pretty interesting statistic on him. So he was one of these guys that just ran a marathon he trained for it he ran and he ran something like 242 in his first marathon he's like oh i kind of like this i'm kind of good and he kept going and apparently he had a guinness book of world records at one time he had the most consecutive personal best in the marathon so i think he had 13 marathons so he had 13 marathons in a row where he set up oh oh steve's steve's frozen not the not the best uh, place for Steve to freeze there, Trent. Back. What? Oh, yeah, now uh, you're back. Camera back. Okay. All right. You were in the How middle of like a very get? compelling point there. Um, want to toggle your camera over? too? You want me to start over? No, 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 I want you to keep going. I'm probably gonna leave all this in. Okay. So what I was saying was <laughs> that it was because he ran 13 straight personal bests That's at the right. time. At the time, it, it were, I think it, it was at one point an official Guinness Book of World Record, those 13 straight uh, personal bests, or at least that's what Wikipedia says. Well, then it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> it, then Dude, it's the... that, that's some horse hockey world record right there. If I had known that was a record, I'd go out and run a 12-hour marathon and just chop it down <laughs> by 20 minutes for 35 so, straight times. I mean, come 13... on. You have to run 13 marathons, Trent. Man, if I got to be in a Guinness World Record book, every kid from 8 to you know 13, their dream is to be a Guinness World Record holder. It's for me, I would if I knew I had the chance, I would go after it. That's a great point, Trent. When I would go, we'd have like um these book fairs when I was in middle school, and people would go and like you know there's books everywhere, and everyone would get like novels and all this stuff. I would go right to the Guinness Book World. My mom must have been so that must have been like. Her least favorite moment of my childhood was when I was like, oh, mom, they had a, can I have 20 bucks for the book fair today? And then I come home with like a sports magazine, like Sports Illustrated and the Guinness Book of World Records. So you're totally right. But I think in this, back to, back to the race. I have so many thoughts on middle school book fairs, though. I know, we could, we could do a whole stuff. When, I just month, spend them all on the awesome posters. The posters that everybody in the country exactly. had the same same posters. So let's let's hold let's hold this because in, in a month from now when we have no running news whatsoever, we're gonna need something to talk about. So fair, let's get back to the fair. duel in the sun. 
So to your point, Steve, at the time in 1982, I think those were the two fastest times. Those were like the two fastest times in Boston Marathon history, right? I think that was yeah. one and two. So I don't know where that was in his, you know, the peak of uh, Beardsley's like world record there. But if that was somewhere in the middle, then it's or like even, you know, towards the end, like 75 percent of the way through of his 13 marathons, then that's great. But if it was like he ran a three hour marathon and then slowly built up to like the second fastest time ever run at the Boston Marathon. Eh, no, I think not, I think I'm it starts. Good. I think it starts at 242 and ends with 209. OK, then then I can live with that. I can well, he should have started slower, and he could have made his record way bigger. It would have been impossible to get. But but one more thought on Beardsley before we kind of move on to the to the finish here is that this is what I l- absolutely love about this era of runners, kind of the late 70s into the 80s. It was just normal dudes that just decided, I'm going to train like a professional athlete. And they didn't start offering money at the Boston Marathon, I think, until – I think it was 19 19- – 1980 or early 1980s where they started offering money so you had you had all these guys that were just training like professional athletes just for the love of the game i mean it's such a cool era of the sport yeah and and to that point a little different but still shout out to salazar he's not he's not a joe schmo um but he was a badass in those days and who knows what he was taking but like you said he was a 5k you know record holder all the way up to the marathon it wasn't like he he ran you know two marathons a year like some training plans will have you on today that guy just went out and raced they said he set a record in like the six and a half mile the week before or something like that that guy 10, that guy just knew how to do higher efforts 10, is that what it was 10k they Dude, said they I, said they said six and a quarter which i'm gonna go ahead and say is a 10k can i just say how much i come love on that? Trent, like we be better be better <laughs> wait, wait i want to give big compliments to the announcer that said that that was like screw the 10k we're gonna call it the six and a quarter no mile. no no he's just like he you know he he knows who he's talking to and he goes, yeah i know i know these boston listeners aren't gonna know what i'm talking about when i say 10k so i'll just say six and a quarter well, I'm one of those Boston listeners that had no idea what he was talking to about. But all I want to say is that Salazar, you know, was a complete badass at that time. That guy just got on the line no matter what the distance and raised his ass off. It kind of shows, you know, it was a little precursor for him becoming the dominant coach that he was. Like, whatever. He just showed up to win. He did whatever it took to win that day. And you look at it, it's like, how many athletes are that successful as an athlete than that successful as a coach? I mean... It's it's absolutely incredible that he was, you know, the greatest of his time and then he was the greatest, you know, coach for his time too. So. Greatest villain in the sport. I mean, you could argue is sure. success it, 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 when it's all said and done, I don't know if people will look at him as a as a necessarily successful coach, but uh very successful at one time for sure. 10k? What are you what are you talking about? 10k, buddy? The only We're, 10k I know is when Pedro Martinez is facing the Yankees. You know what I'm saying, kid? Oh, I had 10K on that game, bro. Listen, we didn't we didn't kick the British's ass to be over here using the metric system, all right? Kilometer. I don't know what the hell a kilometer is. Can somebody convert that to American for me, please? <laughs> oh, man. And we're officially off the rails, and I love it. <laughs> this is what quarantine's doing to us. <laughs> um, but anyways takes the turn onto Boylston and it is just a mad dash down Boylston. I love I love watching watching the the 80s footage of these two just barreling down the barreling down towards the the finish and they cross the tape and my favorite part of of, of watching Salazar come across the line is kind of seeing how 
compared to what the finish is today, how kind of deconstructive, how, how minimalist it is compared to what it is today. It's just they just string across a tape and they cross and, you know, it's 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 much less, much less built up at the finish, which was kind of cool to see. So so one of my notes was the finish was so lame. I mean, come on, we could have had a bigger <laughs> we could have had a bigger tape going across. That's all I'm asking for is something that says ball. It looked like a caution tape thing you'd see at a, <laughs> a crime scene. It was tiny. Well, how about like the three cops that like as soon as Salazar crossed the line, just like grab him and start yanking him through the crowd because there's just no order whatsoever. It's like we need, we need to do something with this guy. So and then and then I I, I read an article that said uh, Salazar was kind of as soon as he got his his laurel wreath, he was swept off to uh, the emergency room to kind of get some fluids in him, and even Beardsley was really struggling with how dehydrated he was afterwards. And they were saying that it's just they didn't drink that much on the course, and that was just kind of another another thing that's very different to today. I mean, everybody on the course, I mean, we saw it. Everybody has their individual water bottles, and it's a massive, massive part of the sport. Back then, it was just like, you know, you take what's out there, and we're 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 just gonna we're just gonna run. We're not gonna think about it too much. They're such badasses. I know, I know, so much tougher than these wimps we have running today. Yeah, back in our day, yep. man. It's different. Back, back <laughs> but anyways. Any any final thoughts on uh on the on the duel in the sun boys? There is there is a book about this race that I'm thinking if we if this quarantine continues I might I might jump into. Peak too early book club? Maybe. Well week one quarantine, Mike, you might have been able to convince, but I don't know. Next week I can't I can't account for being able to read a book we'll see (laughs) oh man so we need some we have some homework for for the listeners or not homework but we need some help from the listeners we threw this idea out there and uh, i had a ton of fun talking about this race kind of going back and watching this this uh this this old you know classic um listeners dm us if if there's any type of running race that you think we should kind of go back and watch and recap it can be a marathon like i said it could be a a track race it could be a track meet if there's something interesting that happened during a track meet um a cross-country race whatever race is your favorite race of all time let us know and we'll watch it and we'll recap it on one of the coming episodes of peak too early while we have no actual real live sports to recap so on that, boys, why don't we kick off the bell lap? Mike, what do you got for people on the bell lap? So Steve, well, the you know the rest of the world is you know going into quarantine mode and kind of shutting down and hunkering down. Here at Peak Too Early, we're gonna start grinding. We're gonna take advantage of this opportunity to try and create a positive you know, force in this world where there's so much crap going on, we want to try and bring some smiles to people's faces. So we're going to try and focus not on the coronavirus, but try to pump out content that has nothing to do with the coronavirus. So we're working on a Spotify playlist right now. All of our guests have are are starting to provide us with their, their, their favorite pump up song to get us going, you know, before a race. So we're going to be putting that out soon. Uh, we're going to be putting out some hilarious, um, you know, running related uh, videos from pros and just your average runner. So listeners right now, if you got a uh, a funny running story that you want to tell, take a video of yourself, send it to uh, peak2earlypod at gmail.com 
and uh, you might see yourself on our Instagram telling that story. What else we got going on? We just got some More some blogs. some awesome content. Yep, your questions that you asked, we ran out of time for that. We're I'm gonna pump out a bonus episode uh, either Friday or Saturday answering your guys' questions. So listen, the content is just going to go through the roof over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be working hard to try and put smiles on people's faces in, in these weird times. So let's get excited for that and, and stay tuned. Everybody else is canceling. We're doubling down. So you can count on us. We got your back. Trent, what do you got for people on the, on the, on the Bell app? Speaking of content, got to give a shout out to P2E memes run. P2E underscore memes underscore run. I mean, we, we've talked about who we think is running this Instagram. We don't have, you know, still have definite no answers idea, on that, which, which is love. kind of fun. Somebody's just making some great memes. But there was a comparison of a, a little statement I had last week <laughs> to, to Will Hunting and, and Goodwill Hunting. And it might have been the greatest moment of my life. There are that whoever is running that account doesn't understand how important that was to me. How much like social capital I have with my friends now to say whatever I was ranting about kind of sounded like Will Hunting in that movie. So uh, a big shout out to Pete Memes Run. If you guys want some laughs, follow them. Um, they're, they're very funny, very funny follow on Instagram. So, guys, I got a quick story on the Bell Lab. So I think it was last week when, you know, coronavirus was kind of at a it was it was at an all time high and we were realizing that. Every day that went by, we were living in a different world than we were living in the the day prior. And I had a good I had a good friend reach out to me, and he just wanted to check in on me. And he he called up and he he's from from New York, so from outside of outside of New England. Calls me up and he's like, he's like, Steve, how how you holding up? How are, how are things out there in, in Lowell, Massachusetts? And I said, you know what? It's like it's like my high school girlfriend broke up with me. I'm in I'm not doing well. I'm in pain. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know what to do with myself. And he's just like, wow, coronavirus is hitting you real hard, huh? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, I'm talking about Tom Brady and the fact that he's no longer a New England Patriot. And he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But that was a real conversation that happened. And, uh, just kind of, it's just kind of where, where I'm at right now. You know, I'm, I'm a little lost right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself come this fall. Um, I got my TB12 hat on, you know, I'm, I'm a diehard Patriots fan. I got, I got, you know, Patriots blue running through these veins, but just a little part of me is going to be a, a Bucks fan going forward. But sad, sad, somber day in the, in the world of P2 early. Mike put a little, a little P2E statement at the end of the last episode. So if you didn't listen to the whole episode, go back and listen to it. But guys, Steve, hold on before you end the show. Okay. I do think it's important that we address this at some point. Okay. All right, let's address just, it. That's not in the show. No, 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 no. What I was going to say is I'm just not ready to address it yet. I think we, we should have a segment on this show that we dedicate to this moment, but I'm just not ready for it yet. Okay. I'm not ready right, for fair. it yet, and I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I just I need some more time. Well, you know, in the words of uh, of the, the great philosopher Scott Zolak, time to roll <laughs> with the changes, Mike. Roll with the changes. So, other than that, boys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. A little tear in my eye saying this today. Hit me with the Josie. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just want to use your love. Tonight
geek of my Wait, you made a what? I made a website about Tyrese Rice. It's pretty sick, dude. What could you possibly put on a website? <laughs> I had these like three pictures of him in high school, college, and like overseas. And he scrolled over it. The picture got real big. You can click on it, and it would give you like some pictures and some stats about him. It was basically it was a web design class, like how to make a website. So it was mainly just like showing the stats, features. But <laughs> there's Where no way to get the stats. It's like two point two points per game. <laughs> Where did he play off the college? Well, he didn't get drafted. He was overseas in a few different places. He's still on Barcelona. Uh, they have a good basketball team. Surprised like, he didn't. Surprised he didn't get drafted by somebody playing like the D League for some for a little bit. Dude, I've been saying that for saying <laughs> that drum for years. It blows my mind. Oh goodness, you're you're out in the world. It's a dangerous world out there, Ali. I know, but the closest people are about 20 feet, so right now I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, if, if somebody, you know, comes up on you and you need to take a break and, like, run across the street, just let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. Burning until you put up me like a sweet sunshine. 